to open your Bibles with me this morning, if you would, in your New Testament, Gospel of John, chapter 19, John chapter 19, till still talking about the challenge of Easter and the challenges that the whole experience has brought to us all. And when you think about Easter, it's not just a cut and dried event, it's something that affects us in many ways, makes us think, confronts us in our sin and it just makes us think about who we are as human beings. John chapter 19. And keep your Bibles open. We'll refer to this passage several times. While you're turning to that passage, uh, one announcement. Most of you know that Jay Gibson passed this last few days. And he will have a service, a, a family graveside service, the Saturday after Easter. And then they are inviting friends and family and anybody here, evidently, to a meal at the Community of Faith Church at 1 o'clock that day. The graveside service is earlier, and that's a closed family thing, but they want to have a celebration of his life later that day. And there'll be details in the bulletin later. So be in prayer for that family. Many of you remember Jay and Velma, and they were fine people here for many years. John chapter 19. As always, we gather and we pray. I wish I could say that this year the world is at peace, but you know better. Unfortunately, the war that we see on the news every night is the same as any other war that's been. You know, we tend to think this one's worse. It's not. It's just like every other war. It's a slaughter of innocence is all it is. Always. So we pray for them today. I'll give you a few moments in quiet prayer where you're seated. I'll close, then we'll look at this passage together. Would you join me, please? Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your presence this morning. We come this week, the week before Easter. We mark Jesus entering to Jerusalem. His choice to follow you in obedience. His willingness to give his life for us. We always recognize that gift, but today especially. He made a choice. Thank you. We thank you, Father, for this life that we have in Jesus. Biblical teachings that guide us. The indwelling spirit. Cleansing of sin. Eternal hope. Thank you, Father. You're the only one that could have done it. Thank you. We thank you this morning for this great nation we live in. For the peace and security that we have. We hear of wars and rumors of wars. We see pictures on the news that remind us just how horrible it can be. Thank you, Father, for keeping that from this land. We pray for those that we see on the news every night, those in Ukraine, those in African countries that are at war, those in the East that are at war. We know every day people are slaughtered. Work as only you can to bring peace and comfort and hope 
We pray for those families that are on the move, that are running for their lives. Help us in wealthy lands to willingly share what we have with others. We pray that relief agencies and good-hearted people everywhere would give and go and serve. We pray for these people, uprooted, that you would give them peace and hope for the future. We pray for an end to the hostilities. We pray for wisdom and discernment and guidance for those that are in power. We pray, Father, that something could be done to stop it all. As always, we pray for those in our congregation who have lost loved ones. Give them comfort and peace. We know others are recovering from surgery. We ask for a healing. Others struggle to keep their lives and their families together. Give them hope. Lord, work as only you can. Use us. Help us to know how to be used that we might help others. We pray for our first responders and our families. Give them comfort and peace. Comfort those that have lost loved ones in war. Encourage them. Help us, Father. Change our hearts. Lord, we worship you today. We ask for mercy and forgiveness for our sin. A cleansing that only you can give. And we ask that you would help us in our faith to honor you in all things. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. They say that a picture says a thousand words. On screen are some pictures that say so much. Images that portray and convey something about humanity. The Sphinx and the Pyramids talking about the ability of man to do great things. We still don't know how they did this back in the day. But that picture conveys a lot about modern man, doesn't it? And ancient man. The next picture, a little bit different. Constitution. A document that to this day changes our lives. Every day you function and do things simply because this document says you can. Provides you with freedom and privilege and rights that other people can only dream about. But we see that picture and we were reminded of the way you've worked and the way God has worked in our nation's history. The next screen. This is a picture of Iwo Jima. Some of you will recognize this picture. Most of you know that this is a staged picture because the photographer couldn't get his act together while the shells were falling. But this is a reenactment of the very thing that he saw. Of course, it was a huge battle. As an aside, my dad was at Iwo Jima. He was on a light destroyer, or whatever his ship was called. And he said the shelling was so severe that at one point, all the guns synchronized. And this was on a 700-foot-long ship. At one point, all the guns synchronized where the ship listed to 45 degrees because they just synchronized one time. One of the bloodiest battles of the war. For those of you that know, this image conveys a lot. One other picture. The Twin Towers. You remember this, don't you? I remember hearing about it on the news. I remember watching the TV over and over and over, seeing this image with my kids, and they were terrified 
as were we all. We didn't know what was going to happen, but I remember the feelings that that picture generated. I still feel those feelings, don't you? When you see that picture, you are reminded of what happened, of the lives that were lost, of the way our country was changed, of the things that have happened since then. Pictures have the ability to convey thoughts and, and power and fear and courage and hope. There's one more picture. You haven't seen it, but you know what it is. We don't have a picture of what the cross was all about, of course, but when you see a picture like this, and I'm sorry it's not very easy to see, but when you see a picture of a cross, you understand what we're talking about, don't you? For those who know about Jesus and the crucifixion, when you see a cross, either with three crosses like this or just an empty cross on a hill, you are reminded, aren't you, of who Jesus is and what the cross means. So today we're going to talk about that cross. We're going to talk about what this cross means to us today and why it means that to us. We're going to talk about the challenge that this picture brings to us, this thing called the cross. Follow along with me, if you would, in John chapter 19. I'll read verses 17 through 30. John 19, beginning at verse 17. They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two other men, one on either side, and Jesus in between. And Pilate wrote an inscription also, and put it on the cross. And it was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Therefore this inscription many of the Jews read, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. And so the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. The soldiers, therefore, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. They said, therefore, to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast slots for it, to decide whose it shall be. That the scripture might be fulfilled, they divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things, but there were standing by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things that had already been accomplished in order that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. When we read this passage, we can only imagine what it was like. Of course, we have to remember that the scene that we just read about was part of a very busy week of activity for Jesus. It was a horrible ending to a, a pretty difficult week. Already, Jesus had, several days previous, told his disciples that they would be going to Jerusalem for the Passover. 
They didn't want to. They were smart enough to know what was going on. At the time, Jesus was one of those people that those in positions of power wanted to silence. He wouldn't be silenced. He wouldn't go away and he surely wouldn't stop talking. So there had been plans made to kill him. There were rumors of a sacrifice. Jesus knew what was going to happen. So did his disciples. But he made his way to Jerusalem for this week of horrors, which was Passover event. He planned for a meal. We call it the Last Supper. You've seen the Da Vinci painting. Probably wasn't how it was, but we don't really know. It doesn't matter. In that last meal, he shared one last time of communion with his disciples. He was betrayed by Judas, arrested before the priest, a mock trial. Sent to Pilate, sent to Herod, sent to Pilate. Beaten, declared guilty. And then they nailed this crossbeam on his hands and shoulders, and you've seen the pictures, and he carried that up to the staff where he would be hung. And he died on the cross. One more criminal. I say that because to everybody involved, it was just one more rabble-rouser that they got rid of. We know it's a big deal. I mean, today, Christians, hundreds of millions of us all over the planet, look to this event as something that has changed our lives and changed the world and given our lives meaning and helps us every day and gives us hope into eternity. Big deal to us. In Jesus' day, though, just one more Jewish preacher dispatched by the Roman government. But we know it was more than that. It was more than just the death of a Jewish preacher. It was a changing of everything. What this story says in a lot of ways is one big image and on screen we can get this idea up. The cross is the ultimate expression of God's love for us all. Think about it. When you see that cross hanging in the darkness, what it is saying is God loves you. Nothing more. Nothing less. Think about it. God loves you. Creator of the universe loves you. Not just humanity in general, but he loves you. Me? Yes. Good people? Yes. Bad people? Yeah. Homosexuals, transgenders, straight folk, Muslims, Jews, Christians, Africans. Yes. Absolutely. One of the challenges of the cross is that it says that God loves everybody. Now, I say that and I spent a little bit of time on that because that's a big deal. That was one of those messages that no one wanted to hear. In fact, as in the Old Testament, you saw that the Hebrew people, when they were told to take this message of God's grace towards others, they resisted that. They wanted to believe that God loved them, but not them. The idea that God loves everybody is a pretty big deal. It is a life-changing revelation. When you love someone, you don't, don't just say it. Now, if you're smart, you say it. You write cards and letters. You give hugs. But if you truly love someone, it leads to action, doesn't it? Some kind of action because when you love people, you want to express it. You want them to know it. You want to... Have them feel it like you do. 
So you pursue them in various ways. Sometimes it's as a mate or a spouse or a lover. Sometimes it's as friends. Sometimes it is a neighbor. But you want to do something to show that you love. Several years ago, I was confronted by a group of young women in one of my churches. And uh, what I had done was make the mistake of thinking that because I loved my wife, her opinion was more important than the opinions of other women in, in my life. I didn't realize that was a thing. In this church, there were a group of young women who were very observant of my relationship with Tammy. And we were young and dumb and we were just in love. We didn't know anything. I surely didn't. And I had stopped wearing my wedding ring. Now, the reason I didn't wear a wedding ring is the same reason I don't wear it today is because on any given day, my finger swells or shrinks. I don't know why. Tony, you could probably, as a doctor, explain this to me. But some days, I can't get my ring on because my finger is fat that day. Some days, my finger is so thin that the same ring that I can't get on one week will fall off my finger the next day. And it happens like that. And it's been this way ever since we've been married. So early on, Tammy and I had these conversations. And finally, she said, fine, just quit wearing it. And so that was that. So I didn't wear a ring. So we'd been married for several years and had worked this out. And this was a scandal in one of my churches that the preacher didn't wear a wedding ring. And so I had this conversation with multiples of these women at time. They would confront me and they weren't very nice about it because they knew that skullduggery was afoot and the preacher wasn't respecting his wife and I was probably looking for a girlfriend and all those kinds of things. And it didn't matter that Tammy was happy and didn't matter that I was loyal. None of that was relevant because they knew that if I wasn't expressing my love the way they thought, that it didn't count. In one particular conversation, and I remember it distinctly because it happened after a Wednesday night Bible study, I was just a dumb man confronted by this feisty young woman and she was on fire and she wanted to fight. And I was kind of afraid of her actually. And we had this long conversation. It was pretty heated. And she finally said, you've got to start wearing that ring and all those kinds of things. I said, stop. And I don't even remember her name, but I remember the fire in her eyes and it still kind of scares me. And I said, listen, I love you and you're a good gal, but I'm going to tell you, I love my wife and her opinion is the one that counts, not yours. That is not what she wanted to hear. And she lit up like the burning bush in Moses. And I'll tell you what, she just tore into me. And I said, look, I don't know. I, I, I don't dislove you or anything like that. I said, but Tammy and I have worked this out. And her opinion is the one that matters. And therefore, I'm going to do what she wants and not do what you want. And she screamed and yelled. And it was a pretty heated thing. And there was no prayerful end to this thing. It was just one of those things that happened. And she stomped out. And I went home and told Tammy all about it because I was afraid of what the gossip would be. Worst case scenario and all those things. And I remember thinking about that. And what happened that night was I had to choose to show my love in a way that the person that was most important in the situation would hear it. And the most important thing that my wife knew was that I loved her. And even though I might love those other people, Tammy got the priority. Well, that is the story of the gospel writ large when you think about it. Not that God deals with fussy people like us, and he does. But that sometimes when you love, you have to prioritize. If you love more than one person, you have to choose, don't you? You have to choose, I'm going to make this person happy. I'm going to do something special for this person. And I'm not going to do something special for that person. And you choose to prioritize. 
So the cross is one way that God did that. He chose to act to save us. Now he loved Jesus. He loved his son. He loved him like a father loves a baby boy. And yet he chose to prefer us over Jesus, didn't he? Because for us, he chose to sacrifice his son Jesus. It wasn't that he didn't love Jesus. It wasn't that he loved us more than Jesus. It just he chose to prefer us in his actions. See, that's how much God loves us. And that's where the challenge is. God doesn't just love us like everybody else. He loves us more than everybody else. And in his actions, he chose to prefer us and do what might be difficult for other people. In fact, as if you remember, one time Jesus prayed, let this cup be taken from me. He was asking Daddy, Father God, are you sure you have to do this? Jesus didn't want to die on the cross. And of course, the answer was yes, I do. Paul says that Jesus was obedient unto death in other words, Jesus was simply doing what God wanted him to do. You see, that's what the cross is. It is a challenge because it shows us things that we wouldn't come to on our own. On screen are some of the challenges. God pursues us in spite of our sin. He did this thing with Jesus in spite of the fact that we were sinners. We're sinners. Not them, us. We, everybody is loved by God, and we're all sinners. Sometimes we tend to divide people up between good people and bad people, and I understand that. There's a, a sociological and emotional function to that. Good people can be trusted, bad people can, etc., etc. We break people up into groups like that, but the reality is we're all sinners. We're all broken. We're fallen folk, and God loves us anyway. Philip Yancey says it like this, and I've quoted this several times. Still a good thought. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there is nothing you can do to make God love you less. He loves you absolutely. If you got it right this year, great. He loves you. If you blew it big time, God still loves you absolutely. Nothing will change that. And the cross says that. God says, I love you. You're a sinner. All of you are sinners. In spite of that, God loves us absolutely. Nothing changes. Another thing that the cross teaches us is that God has acted to save us. The challenge is understanding why God would do this. And that goes to the first one. God loves us. That's why. And the challenge is to accept the fact that God did this on his own. Not because of our prayers. It was in his plan from the beginning. When he created us, and it was, this was in his mind in eternity, before creation existed, the mind of God envisioned humanity. And he saw us created with free will and choice and intellect and abilities and bodies. And he knew what we would be like, and he knew that somewhere along the way, if you give someone free will, they will make a choice that's not going to help them, that's going to hurt them and reject God. And God knew that. And so, before creation, he planned, I will fix this. 
It seemed like a fantastic story. But really, is it any different from any parent? Any grandparent? You love your babies. You love your grandbabies or great-grandbabies. And you can't wait till they're born and you hold that little baby innocent and pure as they are. And then somewhere along the way, that baby yells at you or throws something and hits you in the face with a toy, right? And they do that. And they hurt you. And somewhere along the way, they hurt your heart. And they break your heart. And they reject your authority. And they fight you. And you love them anyway. So when you think it's fantastic that God is doing this, just remember our lives are a reflection in some ways of God's love and commitment towards us. We love our family, period. We are God's family, period. God loves us. He's acted to save us just because it's who he is. And finally, we reject man's efforts to help us. The cross shows us that God knows that we couldn't do anything for ourselves. Now remember, God created us, and we've talked about this, how there is an instinctive desire within us for faith in God and hope in eternity, the afterlife. The cross says our religions don't work. The cross says God understands your hunger for God. The cross says nothing you can do can fix this stuff. The cross says God will take care of it. So we lean on this deity, this God who loves, and recognize that when we see the cross, we are reminded that God has done something wonderful for us, something that we couldn't do for ourselves. One of the other things, and this is on screen, the cross challenges our beliefs that all religions are the same. This is a big one anymore. Used to, in our culture, and I remember this when I was a kid, I didn't know that there were other religions in America. Everybody went to a Baptist church. That's what I knew. And that's all I knew. I, that's the only kind of churches I knew existed. Probably because my mom and dad didn't want me to know about them and other, other people's. You know, it's the way it was. And I lived with a delusion that there was just one faith. Well, I grew up and you know what happened. I met people who didn't follow Jesus. Sometimes they looked different. Sometimes they looked the same, but they didn't follow Jesus. They rejected Jesus, actually. Sometimes they were Muslim. Sometimes Hindu. Sometimes Buddhist. Sometimes they didn't believe in God at all, and I never could accept that. And on and on it went. And here I am, nearing retirement, and I've begun to realize that we are surrounded, literally, with people who practice a different faith than us. Many of these people are really fine people. The tendency is to say, well, you know, really, all religions are the same. And you've heard that. There is a theory, and I'm not going to give you the technical name because it doesn't matter, but it's the wheel and spoke theory, and you probably heard this. And you'll see it on talk shows. People talk about it all the time. And they'll say it like this, and this is the explanation. Imagine a great big wheel. These are humanity all over the world in history. See the spokes leading to the center? The center is God. The spokes are the various religions. They start at different places, they work differently, but they all lead you to the same place. And that's the idea that all religions are the same. And yet there is the gospel teaching 
There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. So said the author. So we have to think about that. What does the cross say about that? The cross says that God loves everybody. The cross says that we're all separated from God by our sin. The cross says that in Jesus and in Jesus alone there is salvation. And the cross says without Jesus there is no eternal life. So you see the cross is very confrontational, isn't it? And it causes a confrontation. And believe me, when you talk to people who aren't Christian, they are very much aware of the idea that Christians believe that in Jesus is salvation and only in Jesus is salvation. And that's hard to take sometimes, I'll be honest with you. But you have to remember, salvation isn't determined by whether you are a good person or not. Salvation is not determined by your upbringing, by your income, by your intellect or what you look like or anything. Your salvation is determined by your relationship with God given in Jesus. For those who follow Jesus as Savior, they receive the cleansing and the Holy Spirit within them and a hope in eternal life. The Bible says very clearly, and Jesus did say this, follow me and I'll give you life. Reject me and the wrath of God will come upon you. It's hard to take. The cross is a picture of comfort and hope to those who know Jesus as Savior. To those who reject him, it is an image to be despised. So when you see images of the cross this week, remember, it is an image that speaks of peace, of God's love, of God's grace towards humanity, it is the image of God reaching out to sinful man. It is the image of God offering us a chance for life again. And it is a challenge. Because it says very clearly, in Jesus, and only in Jesus, is our salvation and eternal life. On screen is a final thought. We'll skip this, if we would. Just a final screen. Today we remember Jesus the crucified and then next we celebrate Jesus the resurrected. This week we speak of the crucifixion. We speak of the cross. We speak of his burial. We speak of his sacrifice. I encourage you to come Wednesday, Thursday night to our Monday Thursday service and we'll speak of the cross and try to recreate some of those feelings that Christians might have felt that night Jesus was crucified. Nate's going to come and lead us in a hymn of invitation. A chance for you to respond to this gospel. To step up to the challenge of following Jesus as Savior. To acknowledge your sin. To submit to his leadership. To allow God to work within you and give you hope in this life and in the life to come. Let me challenge you to do that. Would you stand with me as Nate leads us?
Would you be seated for just a moment? Russ has an announcement for us. Russ has been our youth minister here for a long time, seemed like, and uh, done a good job and has a big announcement for our church and for him. Russ? <sighs> Boy, no pressure, right? Um, after a lot of prayer and consideration, I have decided to accept a position at First Baptist of Lexington, Missouri. I am grateful for the relationships and grace that so many of you have shown me and my family. I'm also thankful for the countless opportunities for growth and experience. Sunday, April 24th, will be my last Sunday with you all. Please pray for my wife and my family as we continue, oh, and me, obviously, for me, my wife, and my family. Um, as we pursue God's will for our lives. Thank you, Russ. Stay here. Stay here. Okay. I was going to say Russ had hair when he came, but he never, never has hair. Russ has done a great job. This was his first paid position at a church, I think, wasn't it? Uh, well, with money, yes. Yeah. <laughs> With money, yes. And uh, he's done a great job, and uh, a lot of the youth have come here to support him today. So we're going to miss you and your kids, and, and your little boys were little guys when they came not too long ago, and yeah. we've seen them grow up, and, and we've appreciated your presence here, and uh, we're just glad to have been a part of your life, and we'll pray for you. I know First Baptist Lexington. I grew up in Excelsior, so Lexington's just down the road, so know some things about it. So you'll do fine. You'll fit in, and uh, they'll do a great job. All right. Uh, after the services are over, come here and let him know. And if, if you want your family to come down and stand with you, and this is just part of the routine, and yet they can come stand with him. And if you want, come down and shake his hand, give him a hug, and let him know you've appreciated him. Uh, Michelle, why don't you come and lead us in a closing prayer, please? Uh, just really quickly, I wanted to say a personal thank you. <laughs> Anyway, I think we're all going to miss Russ very much. So he's been a great blessing to our church. And I, I'm always impressed. And um, I think we're blessed as a church for the church staff that we have. So um, Kevin and Nate and uh, Dave and Russ, um, they just all work so well together. And well, I won't forget Rose, too. So um, I, know, I know our um, ministry here makes a lot of sacrifices. So please, please you know, let him know how much we support him and love him in this. It's always great to grow and to be able to move forward, especially in ministry. So you'll be a blessing to them as well. Um, Thursday night is Maundy's Thursday service. It's a very meaningful service. Um, it'll just be, you know, very, very somber. But if you get a chance to come out, the service is at seven. So I hope you can join us for that now that we're kind of moving past the COVID thing. So we look forward to having you join us. Let's pray together. Father God, we're just so thankful that, um, that you do save us and you provide your support and love and mercy and grace even when we mess up every day, sometimes every moment, depending on the day. Um, Lord, I just ask that you would be with us as we focus on that sacrifice this week of your son on the cross as we prepare for a risen Savior. In your name I pray, amen.